Uh, If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. And uh, uh, by the way, uh, so we're in a new series called History Makers. And we're essentially, this is kind of a way to quickly go through the whole Bible. I've never done this, but I've always wanted to do this, go through the Bible in a year. Because there's something about getting the full context of Scripture, the full context of the Bible, where everything starts to weave and make sense. And once again, this week, you're going to see how the previous two weeks' sermons built upon that. And now we're in this week. It's like math. You know, sometimes you've got to learn this thing in math in order to get this thing and in order to get this thing. The Bible itself also builds itself like that. So two weeks ago, we started with Adam and Eve. Uh, and how they were history makers. I strongly encourage you, if you weren't there that Sunday for that, please listen to that. Uh, This is a series where, again, by the end of the year, we'll have gone through 40 major people uh, in the Bible and how they affect our world today. Last week, we talked about Noah. Big, big stuff about Noah. And and, uh, last week's message will have some content that may challenge your thinking a little bit. So uh, please check that out as well. And of course, today, we're talking about Abraham. But uh, as we were talking about Adam and Eve two weeks ago, I got a joke in my email that I thought was kind of funny. Um, there's this website called Little Johnny, and it's all this funny stuff that Little Johnny does. And so one day, uh, Little Johnny was in Sunday school, and they were teaching on Genesis chapter 2, which we just looked at a couple weeks ago. Uh, they were teaching on Genesis chapter 2 about how God made women. Uh, and the teacher was talking about how God put Adam into a deep sleep and then pulled a rib out of his side and then made Adam Eve his wife. And uh, little Johnny was listening very intently to the lesson and was enthralled with how God made women. Well, a few days later, his mother noticed that uh, he was uh, lying on the couch and, and he had a real big pain on his side. And so his mother came to him and, and said, Johnny, you know, wh- what's the matter? Are you sick? And he goes, oh, yeah, I got a big pain on my side. And, and little Johnny's mother goes, well, what do you think it is? He goes, I think I'm about to have a wife. <laughs> That's a Bible joke. <laughs> what was Boaz like before he married Ruth? No. Ruthless. Anyway, I got a, bun- I got a bunch of those. Man, I know you guys think they're corny, but my kids think I'm funny. (laughs) Why was 10 afraid of 7? Because 7, 8, 9. Anyway, so. (laughs) All right, let's (laughs) let's go back to the word here. There's like a weird part of me, I think. I I wish I could have been like a stand-up comic for like a day, you know, just to get, get it all out, and then I'll never have to, you know, they're like waiting in there, but I know they're corny and they're sad, so let's just keep going. (laughs) We get to the time in Genesis chapter 12 of Abraham and Sarah. Abraham is a very big figure in faith, very big figure in world history. Jews, Muslims, Christians, most of the world, when you say Abraham, they understand that he would be a pivotal figure in biblical faith. If you do the math on the timeline of people, Abraham was born when Noah was still alive. Noah would live another six, another 350 years. But after Abraham was born, he would live another 60 years before he died. Adam, 
uh, Abraham, Abram, as he was called then, and Sarai, as she was called then, uh, would most likely have been married. And they probably, we can only infer, uh, being that they were uh, a family of prominence and wealth and leadership, that they most likely would have attended the funeral of Abraham's great, 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 great grandfather, Noah, that person who told them the stories, the stories of the great flood, the animals that came in, and the, the box, the ark that was floating on top of the mountains, the doves that were released, and the great creator God, known then as Elohim, and how the great creator God had saved Noah and his family, and how he had been faithful to them during the flood. And so once again, at Noah's funeral, most likely, we can only infer, that's kind of the way I picture it in my head, that they once again heard the tale of the great flood and the great God who delivered Noah out of the flood. Abraham is the next play call in God fulfilling the promises of Genesis chapter 3.15. If you look at Genesis 3.15, it is the whole thesis for the Old Testament. From Genesis 3.15 to Jesus, it tells you how human life is going to be like. It's a very simple verse. The Lord God says to the devil, through the offspring of the humans, through Eve, and through the offspring of the human, human species, there's going to come a, such a child who will rise up and crush your head and you will merely strike his heel. So the devil knows a child is going to rise up and defeat him because God has said it. So what is the devil's plan? To try to destroy families. And if you look throughout the Old Testament, all the devil tries to do is destroy people, destroy families, get them to do what he wants because he knows there's this prophecy of a child coming that can beat him. Now, no human, no, no human like you or I can stand toe-to-toe with the devil. We can't even see him. But all of a sudden, someone's going to come who can. And so you look at Cain and Abel. What does he do? He gets Cain to rise up and kill Abel, literally trying to get rid of the offspring that might rise up to crush him. What do you get next? Noah and the flood. Satan sends demons to come down and intermarry and try to ruin the human genetic species so that he can cancel out what God said by corrupting the human genome. God brings the flood and starts over with pure Noah and his wife, pure pure human that is. Then God has, fills the hearts of men to build the great tower of Babel. And the great tower of Babel was essentially to say, God, we're gods now. And look, we have built this tower to heaven. We can ascend to the heavens through this great tower. And so what does God do? He confuses their speech so that they're never able to organize like that again. And then we get a man named Nimrod, one of the first global rulers. As He becomes a hunter of people. And Satan's plan is to try to dominate and control people so that he can recognize this seed and squash it when he comes. God's next play call after the Tower of Babel, after the flood, after Nimrod, is Abraham. Now, all of a sudden, for the first time, God identifies the family 
through which that seed would come from. And it would be the family of Abraham. So now the devil knows, okay, I can just let the rest of the world destroy itself. Abraham and his kids and the nations that come through him, that's going to be my focal point of attack. And so we come to Genesis chapter 12 to what is often referred to as the call of Abraham. My first point is very simple. The call of God is from God, fulfilled by God for the blessing of everyone else. The call of God on you and me is from God, fulfilled by God for the blessing of everybody else. Read with me our scripture this morning, Genesis chapter 12, verses two to four. The Lord said to Abram, that's Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land in which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And so Abram went as the Lord had told him. And he, and, he, and he went and he obeyed God. Now, notice this. We often say, God is calling me to do great things for him. That's actually not true. God is calling us to allow him to do great things through us. Don't get me wrong. You guys are great. You guys are smart. You guys are good looking, you're talented, you're strong. But you're still far less in your own strength than what God could do through you. And that's, if you look at Abraham, God doesn't say, Abraham, God gives Abraham one, one instruction. I want you to go to Canaan, right? So that, the, oh, look, I give you that. There is one instruction. God says, I want you to go to Canaan. Because the one thing God wasn't about to do was lift him up in the palm of his hand and drop him there. Abraham had to walk. Abraham had to walk. Sometimes over the course of our life, we're going to have to walk. God says, get up, get out of bed. You got to go somewhere, and I need you to do that for me. But look at the rest of what God says. God says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. All peoples of the world will be blessed because of what I am going to do through you. Life is less about what we do and more about what God does through us. And when we begin to have that perspective, we come into something that's called our calling in life. When we begin to operate in the thing that God wants to do through us, we find what we were brought here on earth to do. We find who we were brought here on earth to be and we find that we can do supernatural things when we allow God to do stuff through us. The call of Abraham is essentially a call to be family first. What's he really called to do? He's called to be a father. He's called to be a good one. He's called to be a faithful one. Now, you know the story. Abraham's old. He doesn't have his first child till he's 99. His wife's 90. 
So you obviously have some supernatural stuff happening around the birth, unless something was different about human beings back then. But we have no reason to believe so. We have every reason to believe that they were past the years of childbirth. Abraham and Sarah admit themselves they are past the years of childbirth and that they have no son. That's why they brought Lot. And so Abraham is struggling, and God says, look, I want you to focus on your family first. First, you are, your, your first call is to follow me. Your second call is to lead and be faithful to your family. Your third call is going to be your life's work. For a lot of us, our first call is our life's work. Our second call is our family, and God is somewhere in the mix. And today, I'd like to challenge that, to rearrange that. Let God be your first call. Let your family be your second. This is exactly how God does it in Abraham. And let your life's work be your third. You know, there's a saying I I once heard, God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. And I kind of know what that means now, but that sense of, you know, God doesn't necessarily look at you and say, well, since you're qualified to do this, that's what I'm going to call you to do. Sometimes he does. But for God, often he'll call us to do something that we have to trust and rely him in order to see it be done. Because if we're, quali- if we're overqualified, we're going to rely far more on our own strength to do it than in his. I remember uh, a few years ago, many years ago now, I guess 20 years ago, I hate to say it. Uh, I was, I just become a Christian. I was in a church and I remember I wanted to join the worship team. Oh man, all my friends were on the worship team and you know, all my potential dates were on the worship team, you know. Uh, I mean, I was just like, you know, I took one look at the church, and I'm like, man, the worship team is where to be, you know? And, and I, I, I could barely play guitar at that time. I didn't know how to play the piano at that time, and, and I couldn't much sing anything. And so I, I'm trying to figure out a way to get on the worship team, but I just, you know, uh, I, I, I just couldn't. And so I met with the pastor. I said, hey, I'd like to be on the worship team. And he's like, oh, yeah, that's great. And he, he said, let me, let me pray about it. And as he prayed, he said, you know what I'd like you to do first? And I said, What's that? He said, I'd like you to serve in the nursery. And I remember thinking to myself, wait a minute. I came here and asked to serve on the worship team. Now you're telling me to serve in the nursery. And I, I kind of said yes, but in my heart I'm thinking, man, I think I'm going to have to find another church. I know, that's how humans think, right? You know, we don't get what we want. We go find someplace they'll give it to us. So, I, you know, but, but I, I kept thinking about that. And I'm like, well... You know, why, why, did he say, why did the man do that? You know, and so something in me was like, you know what, I'm going to see this through. So I show up at the nursery, and oh, first, first few weeks, I'm just kind of standing there watching the teacher. Uh, you know, little kids freak me out. Freak me out, man. I mean, little kids, they're like pit bulls, you know, I, unpredictable. I don't know what's going to happen, I, you know. So I remember just kind of watching and observing, you know, They'd stare at me, pick their nose, you know, kind of like challenging me, you know. And, 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 but after a while, you know, the nursery director saw I was kind of being a bump on the log. And, and that I was getting a little less enthusiastic about church in general. So she decided, you know, Tom, why don't you do the story time? And I said, okay, uh, if you call and tell me the story, uh, I'll, I'll do the story time. And so all of a sudden, now, you know, here's the thing. I love telling stories, you know. I love exaggerating stories. 
All of you know that very well, don't you? You know, it's, you're like, yeah, it's part of the things we put up with, you know. But I love it. So give me a story to tell, and all of a sudden I'm sitting there, and I'm telling the story. I'm getting into it, and all of a sudden the kids are getting into it, you know. And, and, uh, and, I, and then all of a sudden I'm like, hey, man, what's, I, before I leave church that Sunday, I'm like, hey, what's the story next week? Oh, I think let's do this. So I'm reading this. I'm praying. I'm like, God, I want to tell this story better than anybody's ever told this story before, you know, and, and I'm just really getting into it. Of course, it's a small church. There's like three or four little kids in there, but I'm acting like, you know, they're like three or 400,000, you know, and so I'm, I'm you know, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty soon I'm bringing in props, you know, when I brought in my knife the one day, that was not a good thing to do, but, you know, but you know, I'm bringing in all this stuff. And all of a sudden, something is rising in me that I wasn't really naturally qualified or gifted in. And I remember, I remember the pastor's wife said something, and it stuck with me. Because I was still kind of like, you know, I love doing what I'm doing, but what can I get on the worship team? And, and she just, she just kind of looked, and she said, you know, Tom, this is good for you. And I, and I remember saying, you know, well, how so? And she said, because God is doing it through you rather than you doing it in your own strength. And I thought, you know what, you're right about that. You're right about that. Because I naturally don't connect with little kids. Now, since then, uh, I've, God has worked through me enough where now I love little kids. But at that point, it was, you know, God had to equip me for that. I was not naturally equipped. And so that is how the call of God processes. It's allowing God to do it through us. Not just saying, I'm going to do this for God in my own strength. Amen? Number two, the call is renewed by God throughout our lives. If you go to further down in Genesis 12, I'll just paraphrase the story. Abraham becomes a real turd, all right? Uh, he, here's what happens. A famine hits the land. And Abraham says, all right, got to go to Egypt. On the way to Egypt, it dawns on Abraham wait a minute, my wife is beautiful. They're going to take one look at her and they're going to kill me to get her. So he says to his wife, you're already going to be compromised anyway, so you might as well save my life and tell everybody that you're my sister. And, and she was related to him, so it wasn't uh, a total lie. Well, you can only imagine how Sarah felt, but you can also only imagine how God felt. What did God say to Abraham? I am giving you this land, and I'm giving a son through you. All of a sudden, Abraham is in Egypt. That's not the land he's supposed to be in. And all of a sudden, Sarah's going to be with another man. That's not the intended father for her child. So there's a big thing going on here. Abraham received an incredible call about what God would do. And at some point in his life, when Abraham got scared and he started looking at the way the world works, he said, you know what, God, I'm not sure how you're going to do it, but this is what I got to do. And essentially, Abraham abandons the call. He abandons the land and he abandons his wife. He doesn't realize the outcome like we know. He thinks he's going to live in Egypt and live out his old days and thank you, Jesus, and Sarah's going to be up there in the palace of the king. Well, God saved him from that. God did not allow Sarah to be touched. And God brought Abraham back to the land with a whole bunch more loot from Egypt. 
And God reminded Abraham, you know, of his call. And here's my point. God renews the call throughout our lives. No one here is going to fulfill their call perfectly. When God calls us to do something, he knows we're going to make mistakes. He knows we're going to blow it. He knows there's going to be time we don't have faith. He knows there's going to be times we're hurting and grieving. He knows there's going to be times that even though we're supposedly mature, we start acting like a third grader. He knows there's going to be times where we start fighting with the people we love and deep down that little voice says, stop fighting, stop fighting, but you're going, no, I want to fight some more. And you just do it. God knows that the road to heaven is a bumpy one at best. But he doesn't give up on us. And when we're done ranting and raving, he's right there saying, all right, let's get back on track. I haven't changed my mind. Paul would say that the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. God says, I haven't changed my mind. Don't change yours. You had a bump in the road. That's all it was. Jesus paid for that bump. Now let's keep going on what I can do through you because we've seen what you can do through yourself. Amen? Number three, the call is a partnership. Further down the road in Genesis chapter 18, Abraham is not in Egypt and there's no famine, but he still has no son. So he's waiting on that one. But in a very interesting passage, God shows up to Abraham as a human being. Maybe it was the pre-incarnate Jesus. Who knows? But God shows up and Abraham knows it's God. And God has two angels with him. And so Abraham recognizes the moment, and he, he, he prepares food for them, uh, and a feast, and cakes, I mean, everything. And Abraham, they just have a conversation. And God stands up and looks at the angels and says, you know, shall we withhold from Abraham what we have come here to do? What they had come there to do is check in on Sodom and Gomorrah and see what's happening there. God says, shall we withhold this from Abraham? Abraham is our partner. Abraham is our partner in the great fight against Satan. Should we keep him out of the loop or should we treat him as a partner? And God treated him like a partner. And so Abraham said, well, God, if you're going to do this to Sodom and Gomorrah, what if 50 persons can be found? Would you still destroy the cities then? And God said, if I can find 50 righteous people, I will not destroy the city. And God and Abraham kind of have this banter. Abraham gets down to 10 people. But he says, God, if 10 people can be found, and God, uh, Abraham says, 10 people, can, and God says, you know what, Abraham? We're partners. For the sake of 10, if I can find 10 righteous people in the city, I will spare it for their sake. And Abraham's feeling like, great, we are in this together, God. I'm, I'm glad that we have a little bit of a, uh, that, 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 that I'm not just some robot, that, that I have a, a, a voice here. Well, of course, you know what ha happened in the end. Uh, there was not 10. In fact, there was barely one uh, who made it out, and that was Lot himself, and Sodom and Gomorrah gets destroyed. But what's the, what's the important thing here? The call is not a dictatorship. It's a partnership. God partners with our call. God is the one who, br the call is from God, fulfilled by God, for the blessing of everyone. It is a call that's renewed by God as we blow it throughout our lives because we inevitably will. The call is a partnership, just like Abraham. You know, God has called me to pastor the church. When I hear God speaking, it's about 
things that have to do with pastoring the church. You know, pray this prayer, call this person, encourage this family, you know. But when we go to decorate the church, I don't get a word from God that says, buy blue chairs. You know, there's a bit of a partnership. God's like, you got a brain. Uh, you live in, in your town. You live in your era. You live in your generation. Build a church that everybody would want to come with. I trust you. Do it. You know, when we went over there, yeah, we prayed. We knew we were to build a kid center, but God didn't say, you know, oh, it has to be this paint color or else you've got the paint color of hell, you know? I mean, it was, you know, there's a partnership that God has with us. And so, you know, the same for us. You know, there's the overall call to our families, to our marriages, to our life's work, to serving God. But a lot of times the details, God is saying, you know what? Go with what you got. And if you get off track, I'll let you know. But really, uh, what kind of toothpaste is really up to you? What kind do you like? Amen? And then finally, the call is tested. If you look in Genesis chapter 22, there's an odd story of where now Abraham has his son. This promised son that comes through Sarah, he has everything he's ever wanted. If there's one thing Abraham wanted to be, it was to be the father of his own child. And I'm sure the same could be said for Sarah, to be the mother of her own child. They were childless for nine decades, waiting, hoping. Finally, this child comes. They have everything they have ever wanted from God. And what does God do? He tests them by saying, now I want you to give it all back. I want you to take your son to Mount Moriah and sacrifice him there and give him back to me. Man, can you imagine when God gives you everything you wanted? Well, Lord, I got my house. I got my cars. I got a great 401k. I got nice clothes. I even got a dog. And now in one instant, God shows up to your door and says, I want you to give it all back. That's a test. Is it a test of Abraham's obedience? Maybe, but I don't think so. I think it's a test of Abraham's faith because Abraham knows it's God who called him into this blessing. It's God who said he was going to give him this blessing. Abraham knows what God has ultimately said. And so now God's calling Abraham on the carpet and saying, can you follow me even if I ask you to give it all back? Well, Abraham gets to the mountain, Mount Moriah, which would be the exact same mountain that Jesus would be crucified on thousands of years later. The exact same mountain that God would sacrifice his son for us is the same mountain that God is calling Abraham to sacrifice his son for him. And of course, uh, if you know the story, God stops Abraham, provides a substitute, just like Jesus, and Isaac is spared, and he lives. But what's the point of all this? I remember once when I was in college, uh, I had failed a test. Now, it wasn't a math test, and I wasn't going for a math degree, so I, couldn't, I didn't care if I failed those tests. It was a test in argumentation. Argumentation for my university degree was a core class, and I failed it. And I remember going back to my roommate, and, and I really wanted my roommate to be like, oh, Tom... You know, oh, Tom, you know, 
oh, it's so bad that you failed that test. And, oh, you, oh, you didn't really fail. Man, why did, she, why did uh, he mark that wrong? That, it's so subjective, Tom. The system is rigged. It's just rigged against you. I mean, I just wanted, like, I wanted to start a coup. You know, I was going to write a letter against this teacher. I was going to get him fired, you know. I mean, how dare he fail me, you know. You fail me, I'll fail you, you know. And so I'm struggling with all this, and my roommate's like, Tom, you did fail. You did fail. Why don't you use it as a chance to grow rather than a chance to gripe? Oh, I hated him for saying that. I remember thinking, I need to get me a new roommate. But when something is so true, I think you get madder, don't you? I got furious. I got more mad at him. I think I've ever got anybody mad at him all, all my years at university. But I think it's because I knew it was right. Testing produces growth. And I wanted to quit the school. I wanted to quit everything. Maybe I'm not called to college, you know. And I, I had an opportunity to go make some good money roofing. I'm like, man, you know, the roofing guy says I got a body built for roofing. I'm just going to go roof. Somebody likes me. But, 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 you know, when he said that, you know, it's like, you know what? Do I want to look back the rest of my life and say, when I got challenged, I ran? Or when I got challenged, I endured and I persevered? What Abraham did. He could have said, no, God, I'm taking my wife, I'm taking my son, I'm getting out of Canaan, I'm getting as far away from you as possible because you are not going to take what I've always wanted. Instead, he went with it, knowing that God was faithful and that he would provide for Abraham no matter what. God is a redeemer. I'll tell you one final story. I'll throw this in for fun. In the, one of the odd stories in the life of Abraham is Lot. Lot is saved. Let me look around here real quick. Troy, you're okay. All right. Lot is saved from Sodom and Gomorrah, right? His wife is not, right? Lot's wife looks back and becomes a pillar of salt. So obviously she got hit by one of the meteors or whatever. So the only people who survive Sodom and Gomorrah is Lot and his two daughters. You know what his two daughters do? They decide to have an incestuous relationship with their father so that they can produce sons because they think that's the only way they can preserve their family line. They totally forgot they have Uncle Abraham just down the road. Totally forgot about that. And Uncle Abraham has Isaac. He's, he's got options. These two girls do a horrible thing. In fact, the first girl... Uh, lays with her father, gets pregnant, and you know what she names her son? Moab. Do you know what Moab means? It means from father. Can you imagine the rest of the kid's life? They call him Moab, reminding him of the incestuous relationship his mother had with his grandfather. And so all throughout the Middle East, you have the Moabites, And the Moabites were looked down upon. They were always conquered. They were always at war. They always had strife and struggle. They were not to be confused with the Edomites. A lot of people do that. They were not. Moabites are completely different. They were from Lot and his daughter. You might even say that God would abandon such a people that were birthed out of incest. But down the line, 
you get a young lady named Ruth. Ruth was a Moabite. She was from that family line. She turned to God, cried out to him for help. God helped her. God found her a great husband. And guess what? Ruth is in the family lineage of Jesus. At about 20 or 25 greats, and Ruth is Jesus' great, 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 great grandmother. A Moabitess, birthed from an incestuous relationship. What's the point of that story? If God can redeem Ruth the Moabitess, God can redeem all of us. That's his plan. That's his heart. It's what he wants to do. He wants to do it through you. Amen? So this morning, I am asking you, what is your call? If you're married, it's definitely first and foremost to be a follower of God and a, and a husband to your wife. If you have children, it's to be a father to your kids. And then there's that life work. Hands down, some of you, the, what you are working in is where God wants you to be. And then there's that final step, that step of serving in the body of Christ. And that's what that sheet is all about, to respond to that call. I am not asking you to do anything. I am asking you to look at that sheet of paper and say, what does God want to do through me and where? Because we are his choice. It's ours. Amen? So think about that for a moment. Lord Jesus, right now I pray you just highlight that in our hearts. Highlight the great opportunity we have of partnering with you in one of the endeavors of the church here to make our lives about something more meaningful than just ourselves, something bigger than just our world. 